0: You are listening to Necropolis on Hessian Firm. Please visit hessianfirm.com for metal reviews, interviews, analyses, lifestyle articles, as well as releases from the label. Welcome to Necropolis. I am Jason, also known as Lone Goat from Goatcraft. Today we have two guys from the old guard of death metal. We have the legendary Mike Browning from Morbid Angel, Nocturnus, Atron, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And um, we also have Belial Koblack. He's also in Nocturnus AD with Mike, but Belial's part of that old guard as well. He was in Lethal Prayer, which uh, started back in the 80s. I know he was in Incantation for a while, Funeris. He has his little hands all over the uh, U.S., death metal scene for you know the old timers here so it's really great to have these two guys on the podcast thank you for being on the show
1: definitely uh, great thanks for having us
0: of course i um, very excited for this episode um a little information is like we actually know each other really well so um this conversation is primarily going to be about you guys and uh nocturnus ad but we could you know interject some personal things in there because i know we go way back so uh, for Nocturnus AD, um, 2019's Paradox, which I think is the debut album from Nocturnus AD, but it's kind of like a continuation from like the first period of Nocturnus, like the key. Um, even the, the, the recording sounds like it came from the same session as the key. I know Jared Pritchard um, recorded that at his studio, and he just completely knocked it out of the park. Um, how did you decide to... Uh, record with him um is he going to record your next album um
2: i think uh as far as we know we're going to try to work that out so he can record you know the next album with us too because we were really happy with what he did and he's 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 definitely one of those people that makes sure everything is is perfect you know he he, he's a he's a pusher when it comes to that stuff he makes he gets the best out out of you and and uh he really cares about what he does i think you know, when it comes to the recording, you know, he's, he's more of just an engineer. He's a really good producer and he knows, you know, he, he well more knows than what he's doing, but I met Jarrett back in the nineties. Um, we actually lived in the same apartment building. Interesting. So uh, when he was in eulogy, yeah.
1: And, yeah. Um,
0: eulogy. I love eulogy. Eulogy is a yeah, definitely a, a Tampa gem. I think uh, they're very, uh, they have that Tampa death metal sound, but they kind of weave their own narrative in there. Um, it's really interesting yeah. stuff. Like I think if they would have stayed together, they could have ended up being like one of the morbid angels out there.
2: Oh, for sure. They were way ahead of their time. You know, as far as the bands around here, they were, you know, definitely one of the better bands and, you know, they were competition to anybody, you know, that was into death metal back then. And, uh, you know, the, they just never um, kind of broke out of Tampa, which is really a shame, you know, cause then they split up. But um, yeah, you know, I, I knew, Jarrett back then when he just played guitar and eulogy and then he started doing um he went to sound school and and started running sound and then he got hooked up with like some of the biggest metal bands out there and like goat horror and stuff in 1349 and uh and you know i heard some of the stuff he recorded in his uh studios right there in orlando which is really close to tampa so you know that was uh you know we didn't really have to go very far and uh Also, he had just bought a um, reel-to-reel 24-track reel-to-reel machine. Like, yeah, right when I first started talking to him about doing the recording, he had some extra time. It was, like, going to work out perfect time-wise because he went on tour, too, a lot with Goat Whore, especially. And um, there was a, uh, you know, a good period where we actually had weekends where we could go up there to Orlando on the weekends and record. And he just – and then he – put that he just bought that tape machine from from california and uh so that was like perfect for us you you know i I talked to him about putting the drums on on the 24 track and then you know getting that sound that we used to have in nocturnus and he was like you know since he was back then he knew and he's seen
0: you
2: know locally in tampa so he, he knew a lot about the band already and it was just kind of like perfect timing for everything it's
0: personal too because you guys have known each other that long so he has a lot of insight into what you should sound like so it's very great that he was able to do that and i i look forward to um you guys working with him again i know he's going to knock it out of the park again um so one of the other than the sound like uh the themes of paradox kind of continue off of the key um like with uh dr magus um, I think the story you're creating for him could be turned into a graphic novel series. It's, it's really expanding a lot. So what's the kind of like uh, the plans you have for Dr. Magus?
2: Actually it gets even more detailed. Um, as you know, we on the key there was basically four songs that were the key story itself. Uh, it was like, you know, Andromeda Strain, Droid Sector, destroying the manger and empire of the sands were really the four songs that meant, you know, were the key story itself and it, and, uh, empire of the sands faded out because we were going to on thresholds, we were going to bring it back in like that and go ahead and continue the story. But because I didn't end up singing on the second album and I, I only wrote lyrics to like two songs on thresholds, uh, since I wasn't singing anymore. And so we didn't continue, not even one thing from the key back then. So, the whole point was, when we had after death, basically all of us, in after death became nocturnus ad. That's right. And yeah. the whole purpose of that was really just to continue where the key left off more than anything. And uh, so we, you know, we still had have after death if we want to do it, but we also, you know, I came to the point where I was like, I'd love to continue the story with Doctor Majes, and 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 go ahead and, you know, write four more songs. That so, what I'm going to do is on every album, there'll be four songs just like on the key.
0: He started started out just traveling back in time and killing Jesus in the manger, right? And uh, or is that a different story? No, that's it. And and it
2: (laughs) ended up where he, uh, after he destroyed the manger, he kind of basically destroyed Christianity as a whole. And with his technology, he took over basically you know the whole area there, Egypt and everything. And he went to Egypt and created the empire of the sands. Um, So that's where it left off. Now in paradox, it started where he discovers uh, an antechamber under the left paw of the Sphinx. And it has all this alien machinery underneath in the chamber. And he uh, there's a portal in there and his, his uh, symbol on his chest, which is the key uh, that started the portal, opened it up and he went to a different dimension where he ran, you know, like where these beings got him and, they put him in this machine that that uh that that gave him all these extra powers of like uh you know, extreme intelligence, uh, you know, kind of some I don't want to say superpowers, but I guess you could say basically like superpowers. Like, Made him like a,
0: almost what, like a super villain.
2: But what they were mainly
0: go ahead. Oh, it's kind of like fourth dimensional stuff you're creating here of different, you know, time traveling and traveling through different dimensions and all that. So it's really interesting that uh you're drawing like this huge inspiration from like the best of sci-fi,
2: right? Well, what they were doing basically was preparing him to go back to the Earth to prepare mankind for them to return because they were like the ancient ones um, that were here before and and were you know going to come back again. So they wanted a like you say an emissary basically, you know, to come back. A person that that is a person, you know, a human, but he's half Android, but still somebody that could go back to the earth and like kind of take it over and prepare everybody for their coming back. So that kind of, that's basically what all the four songs um, were on paradox was all of that, you know, him traveling there uh, becoming, you know, super intelligent and, and getting extra powers and being able to go back. So now on the new album, uh, we don't have a title for the album as well yet, but the, there'll be four songs and um, I've already written the first two lyric wise uh, where he goes back. Well, he's going to go back, but they first, they want him to go through these tasks, uh, which are, um, they, they go along with the tree of life. So there's 10 spheres in the tree of life and he's already collected the symbol on his chest in and the earth sphere. Um. So there's like basically six more spheres in the middle of the tree of life, which he has to go to each one of those spheres and collect another symbol that will fit in his chest. And in each one of those, he's got a specific task to defeat, to get those symbols. So, so the next album will have uh, be, have four songs with him going through three of the six spheres.
0: It's like a, a an occult take on uh, Thanos
2: yeah, basically it's kind of similar to that, um, but you know I started it way before I knew what Thanos oh, yeah. was. You know New now Avengers. everyone knows
0: who he is. Yeah. But
2: yeah. It's, so it is kind fun. of cool, and and like you mentioned, it could be a graphic novel, but more than anything, I think it'd make an awesome video game as well.
0: Oh yeah, just all the traveling back and forth. But I don't know how marketable that would be to the masses. Like the first, you know the first level of the video game, you're going back to uh, Bethlehem or wherever Jesus was born and you're destroying the manger. <laughs> That'd be like hilarious. Sure. Like maybe like a little we- cheap flash video game on a computer or something.
2: Well, a lot of people would be in you know, a kind of offended at that part. So probably what that would be is like that first part would just be like that little thing that you always watch in the beginning of video games. where it just kind of tells the backstory. And you don't actually play it. And then it would start where he starts, you know, going to the other, uh, you know, through the portal and the Sphinx and all that. So if it were a game, I would probably start it there and just have that backstory be like a video that you watch, you know, before you start the game. (laughs)
0: it's still kind of hard to market to you know the the masses at least where you know the the backing is you know the first or first you know introduction of this character is going back in time and killing jesus it's hilarious like there's probably a a niche for it because you know doom's big um you know doom is set in hell and all that so there's a lot of satanic imagery there um and you know there's a lot of it's more I know like in the 80s and 90s like there was a satanic panic and nowadays it's kind of more accepted like the the church of satan and all that is you know very secular and they're pretty much just atheists um it's more accepted in a mainstream society than it used to be so possibly yeah possibly it could be um adapted to a video game but it's just trying to wrap my mind around is it. like the first bit of story is destroying the manger It's hilarious to me it could take off who, who knows um but it's, yeah definitely like a graphic novel you're pulling in all these great sci-fi elements in there um kind of like fourth dimensional stuff where you know he's expanding his intelligence he's going back in time he's going through portals he's preparing the earth for you know the ancient gods and all that so uh very interesting stuff um so one thing you mentioned is that you have four new songs for the next album. So I kind of I drew a parallel It's probably because, you know, COVID-19 um, has you know, stopped a lot of bands from playing um, shows and all that and festivals. I know you guys were booked on Maryland Fest or Death Fest this year. So uh, and that's pushed back to next year. Um, so I was kind of thinking, like, have you guys been just writing more material during this period?
1: Oh uh, Yeah, it's it's been non-stop writing since we don't have shows and festivals to play and touring. All that time and energy is being focused on writing and creating, and we're loving every minute of it. We're coming up with some great stuff here. And Excellent. We're, already, we're already up to uh, seven, seven songs we've basically got all the structure for. Oh, wow.
0: You're almost done with another okay. album.
1: Yeah a bonus surprise
2: yeah there'll be a bonus track too so we're again we're gonna do nine songs on the album and then we'll have one bonus track it actually uh is a song that kind of goes back and completes um you know like the key story also we also had on the key um lake of fire and standing and blood kind of go together and make their own little story and i did uh, a song song the lyrics seizing the throne actually are, are like the third song so it's like lake of fire standing in blood seizing the throne and there'll be an old song that's going to be brought back that actually was not on the key that will, will complete those
1: three songs and ha- make a four song story oh very cool so it's
0: like a little side story for the album
1: yeah that and also um,
2: you know like we did uh, like neolithic was on uh, the key and we did paleolithic which is like the next period in time. So we're gonna do another song on this album, um Mesolithic, which okay. will continue the story on that as well. So they'll again just like is, on Paradox, there'll that, be three three different things that continued
0: from the key. Is Mes- Mesolithic like part of like Mesopotamia and ancient Samaria and all that? Or is it um it's common? starting
2: to get in, yeah. It's it's basically um, like paleolithic was, you know, like when man started beginning to use tools and stuff like that. So it's the next step in, in history, basically. So that's kind of like where I'm taking it lyric wise.
0: Very cool. Yeah. There's a lot of lore for Mesopotamia, you know, Babylon and all that. So it was kind of, it'll be interesting what you do with that. Um. So very cool. So uh, like you said, uh, Nocturnus AD, kind of came about with the, the guys from After Death um, which, you know, Nocturnus is very sci-fi oriented and After Death was very occult and some of the lyrics were actually in Sumerian and After Death I remember that um, so uh, do you consider it the same band or are they separate entities? No, they're definitely
2: separate and, and that's why I wanted to do this as as nocturnus ad because after death was really had nothing to do with nocturnus lyric wise it had nothing to do at all with any of the songs and it was completely its own kind of entity and with nocturnus ad it's all about continuing exactly what was on the key and those not just those stories but also those kind of themes and and is sticking with that stuff and uh like also, after death, we played everything in D and uh, the key was in E flat. So when we decided to do Nocturnus AD, we actually tuned back back up to E flat to make everything. Because when we played the Nocturnus songs uh, and after death, they, they were a little heavier because they were in D. And they didn't sound exactly, exactly the same as they did on the key because they were a little lower in, in the register tuning. So when we started um, with Nocturnus AD... That was the main thing we did right off the bat was,
1: you know, have you guys go right back to the, the E flat tuning of the key. So we we're right there in, in the same tuning. Very cool. With, with Paradox also, uh, how Antichamber starts off the first of those four songs. It's like you said, the continuation from the end of Empire and the Sands, that riff that fades out on the key is the same thing in reverse on Antichamber coming in. So we definitely can continue the whole musical progression that way to feed into the story.
0: Very cool. Yeah, there's a lot of different threads for, you know, there's the music, there's the story, there's, the, of course, the album artwork, too, that's continuing. Um, and the production, it's, it's really thought-out stuff. Like, I know Richard Burnell died a, a couple of years ago, but I recently did, like, a piano cover of uh, Desolate Ways, and the whole thing is written in a D-sharp minor. And so there's a lot of forethought when he approached writing that, that tune. Um, so it's really cool that, you know, death metal musicians have a great understanding of, you know, the concept of narrative where you have all these different narratives, whether it's, you know, production, packaging, um, the song styles, you know, weaving together, the lyrical content, you know, creating a story. So it's really really cool. You don't really see that in like uh, other forms of music, like guitar-based music, like rock and jazz and all that. So it's really cool that uh, you're able to, you know, wrap it into a complete, quote unquote, product. I want to call it a product. You know, it's an expression, but uh, so very cool. So uh, I know one thing is like you posted the other day on Facebook, Mike, about a uh, Lou Panzer. Um, A little snippet article um and he's kind of like from my understanding of the original formation of Nocturnus he was kind of the guy who kind of delegated you into the background and as time progressed like I think they wanted to become really commercial at least he thought so um so uh with that um I think he really degraded like the uh what made the band special and that was you know number one mike davis you know just being a complete shredder and it's you just weaving in all your creativity and these sci-fi concepts and you know you guys really i think it was like the perfect project for you after morbid angel and it just seems to uh, the original formation of nocturnus like degraded you know first they put you on drums without singing and then you know they removed you from the band so it's and they just kind of tanked from there so like what made them special was actually kind of like i think you played a really big part in that um so hopefully you know lewis panzer is still thrashing where he's at um so uh it's great that you have this new vehicle now it's not Turnus ad we're able to continue the concept of the key um so Let's see here. So, Belial, um, one interesting fact about you with Nocturnus, AD, um, is that you also do some synth on guitar, correct?
1: Uh, Yeah, I have a SY300, a Boss SY300 pedal that I acquired uh, right when we started writing Paradox. And uh, yeah, there's some uh, interesting effects that can get out of it that. It, it doesn't sound like a guitar at all. It sounds like the, the keys at some point in time. So I can interlayer sounds in some of the intros or middle sections with the keyboard, and it sounds like it's all the keyboard.
0: It does, yeah. I've listened to Paradox. I can tell, you know, the synth is actually coming from the guitar rather than the keyboard. It's really cool. It's something that, you know, the, the old rendition of Nocturna in have. So it's definitely a new element that you are able to bring into the fold. Um, a little bit about your background. It's like you're part of that old guard with Mike as well. Um, how did you guys get in contact? How did you come into the fold of, like, after death before it became Nocturnus AD? Well, uh,
1: that goes back quite a ways. Um, <laughs> I first had met uh, Vince Crowley when he moved up to Pittsburgh, where I'm from. And, uh, you yeah, being in contact with Vince all those years up there and actually working with him in early formations of Asheron. I was traveling, moving furniture for a living and I ended up down here on the time off when Vince had moved back down and I had time to hang out and he was like, Oh, you want to go over and meet Mike Browning? So uh, that was back in early 92, I believe. Oh, damn. And uh, so that's when I first met Mike and, uh, it, it, Cole did, it was great to meet him. And uh, from that point forward, you know, we stayed in contact. And when I moved down here, it was just like a, a natural kind of a thing to start jamming together. And we actually did in uh, early 2005. I came down here and we started playing together for a few months, you know, doing doing some freeform stuff and actually some lethal prayer material. And uh, yeah, then it just transgressed from there. into <laughs>
2: Yeah, it just, it just mm. happened to be when we were kind of jamming on the side and I had after death going and uh, we had a problem with the other guitar player and after death and had to get rid of him. And then Belial was just right there and he had like a month to learn. Like we were going on a tour and the other guitar player we had not Damien, of course, but the other guitar player, we had a tour planned and the other guitar player said, I can't go because of my job and this and that. So we basically had one month to get, somebody in there teaching like eight or nine songs and go to Europe and you know uh, we did some nocturnist stuff of course too at the time and after death but we also had all the after death songs so Elias was already kind of set up and playing with me you know we were already kind of jamming anyway so it was kind of like a natural
1: progression to say hey you you want to do this and he's like of course you know so (laughs) it it was it's been an honor and uh, I just I dropped everything else I was doing for a while and focused like 24 7 on that to cram, learning as much of that material as I could in that short period of time. Uh, and we went on that tour. Yeah. He did it. He learned all the
2: songs. And there was a couple shows where we had multiple encores and we ran out of songs to play that he knew. So people were going crazy and smashing beer bottles and wanting us to play more songs. We did five encores, I believe, in Germany one night. It was insane. Like we can't play anything else but what we've already played yeah. and they're like, play it again! Yeah, we actually <laughs> played songs that over again the same night at the same show because people wouldn't let us stop playing. Holy shit.
1: Yeah, I've never seen that happen before or
2: again after that one yeah, show. I remember it was the
1: way that club was laid out too when you walked through. There was only one doorway into the room where the stage was, so we couldn't get off the stage to leave even if we would have wanted to. <laughs> yeah the people
2: and, and they were open really late so uh you know it was like two o'clock in the morning and they're like play another song and and I, actually i'm like on the microphone going we don't have any more songs and they're like play another one over again <laughs> and we ended up doing that like three times i think we ended up playing <laughs> you know three songs that we already played that night <laughs> like a couple
0: of ghouls over and over and over on repeat. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I don't remember which three we ended up playing uh, again. I think we played "Destroying the Manger" again, was one of the Nocturnus songs. Um, I can't remember the other one. Was an, we did another After Death song? Yeah, I can't remember what the third one was. Probably a more of an angel. It might have been. Maybe
2: it was. Um, but yeah, I mean, he only knew like ten songs at that time, and you know, we did all ten songs, and then they were like, wouldn't let us stop. So we were like, okay, well, which one, you know, I actually asked the crowd, I said, which one do you want to hear again? And they all started yelling song titles and uh, we're like, okay, that one, you know, and uh, it it was really, it was a fun night. It was, you know, that it was quite amazing that I don't think a band has ever done that before. I wish we would have
1: had that videotaped or recorded. That would have
0: been Yes, I remember when you guys did that tour, I was in the military at that point and uh, you guys definitely, you know, shared pictures with me and, I think you have like a double decker bus and you know, when you did that European tour so it's great that you had that experience um not a lot of bands get to have that experience in a you know extreme metals but you know you're definitely an exception where you you're, you're a fucking legend um and I know Belial is part of that old guard too so you've definitely you know paid your dues over and over and over and you helped shape um, how death metal was. And when it was, you know, being birthed, formally, you know, bringing in your your creativity and all that, and Morbid Angels, so definitely well-deserved touring and all that. Um, very, very cool. So, like I said, I know you guys play some Morbid Angels songs live. Um, like they're played on Abominations of Desolation, correct? You don't play the like the Altars of Madness or anything renditions of the songs.
2: No, no, we only do stuff that I actually sang and played on, and um, uh, you know, and I I even wrote some of the lyrics on these songs, also as well. That not all of it, of course, but um, well, Hellspawn is one that we did, uh, and and Demon Seed. I mean, no, we haven't done Hellspawn, have we?
1: No, we haven't done that. We haven't done Hell,
2: but we did do Demon Seed. Uh, There's three songs that we've done, include well also the gate, which is just like a little intro thing, but. We've done Demon Seed, uh, Chapel of Ghouls, and Angel of Disease. And Demon Seed, I wrote all the lyrics to and even came up with the title. And uh, Chapel of Ghouls, I I wrote a lot of the lyrics to. And uh, Angel of Disease, I threw some stuff in there too. Not a lot, but I did. And, and of course, I sang on all those songs on Abominations. So we decided that if we were going to do these things, that we would do them as an encore only at the end of the set. Um, so we didn't really put them in the set; we put them after the set as an encore, and we did them exactly, basic. Well, you know, pretty close, similar to the way they were on Abominations, rather than the way they were rewritten and put on any of the other albums.
0: Yeah, it seems more like streamlined. Um, streamlined doesn't always necessarily mean better, but the songs seem more streamlined on Alters than Abominations. Like, I think the pacing slightly slower on abominations it's more raw um which i've actually heard you know people say that they like abominations more than altars. you know it's definitely more visceral um so very very cool um so your other
1: under- more chaotic on the abominations
0: version so
1: we tend to go that direction ourselves
0: <laughs> yeah yep keeping chaos at the forefront um your you other thing i remember
1: that um Alters was re- was was recorded almost three full years after
2: Abominations. And those guys were all together for three full years practicing all the time and, and really had that much time to improve the songs. And they had a huge budget for recording and more sound. So, you know, of course, Alters was going to sound a million times better quality wise and playing wise because that you know they had three full years to take those songs and rework them
0: right yeah well i've actually heard people say they prefer abominations more than altars so it's not you know it's saying you know like this what you did was great and people still re- recognize it as being great and actually prefer it to uh the 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 renditions on altars so it's very cool that you're a part of that pivotal moment in death metal where you're able to move mountains and you know really just innovate and there's a lot of ingenuity in there and i know it's a lot of youthful expression at that specific time but still it was very influential for you know even bands today going around they're they're you know the lyrical content is kind of derived and shaped by what you helped do back then um so it's very very cool um speaking about morbid angel you're on good terms with trade now correct
2: Yeah, um, not this last December, but the December before that in 2019, uh, they played in Tampa, and uh, I went. A friend of mine was like, "Come on, man, go to the show." And you know, I've been talking to Trey, and you know, they'll be backstage. Well, actually, in their bus, you know, behind the club. So after the show, I went ahead and went to the show, and after the show, uh, uh, my friend Anthony went back there, and and he's like. And Trey actually happened to be outside of the bus, standing around talking to some people. And we walked up to him and, uh, you know, Anthony's like, hey, remember Mike Browning? <laughs> it's kind of funny. And Trey just kind of looked at me like, huh, what do I do now? But he was kind of stuck out there. It seemed like he was kind of off a little bit about it the first night, but then we started talking a little and things got a little better. And, and I actually brought a Paradox CB with me and, and I gave it to Trey that night. And, and, and I gave him my phone number and I said, look, you know, check it out, see what you think. And, you know, if you want to call me sometime? That's cool. You know, let bygones be bygones. And it was, and then they took off and they had a few more dates, I think after that. Uh, but about two weeks later, I get a text from Trey and he's like, dude, I've been listening to paradox. I, I really, really like it. I'm, you know, I like the way you went with everything and, you know, it's, it's really cool. And, Uh, So we actually started texting back and forth and we've talked on the phone and texted a few times, several times, actually, I should say. Uh, So, you know, it's not like an everyday thing or anything like that. Sometimes it'll be a month and I won't hear from him or, you know, he won't hear from me, but I'll text him something funny or something similar. And then, uh, you know, did you ever talk about guns uh, and he wanted to talk about guns and politics basically. And, and uh, it's kind of funny. So, and we'd, Actually, it was funny that he remembered so many things that we did back then, even before we got, you know, assigned and started doing bigger shows. Yeah, you went he to uh, Plant
0: High School together, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. I met My him mom went
0: school. there. My mom went to that high school. Really? What yeah. year? Oh, we're talking 70s. I think she was there in the 70s.
2: Oh, I graduated in '82, and Trey was there in '82 and '81 and '82.
0: No, she, she would have been, you know, way before you. I think, like maybe like mid to early '70s.
2: Okay, yeah, because I, I was there from
0: '79 to '82, and
2: and Trey came in in '81, eight, and we actually met in like really late '81, and and uh, he had just got a guitar for Christmas. And and uh, so he's like, oh, you know, I play. I I got a guitar now, and I had a drum set, and hadn't really played in anything but the school bands, you know, stuff like that. So we got together and just started jamming, and we ended up putting a little cover tune band together, really uh, called called Ice, Ice. yeah, Ice. Ice. And um, I know it stood for something. Trey always came up with the names of the band, Uh, and. We played, you know, like Scorpions and, you know, stuff like that, Uh, Judas Priest type stuff back then. I mean, because you're talking, you know, 1981, 82, and we did the high school talent show. And I think it was only like three or four songs that we played, but it was kind of cool. And then uh, I graduated from school and Trey moved again to like the north end of town. So there was a a period of about five or six months where we didn't really talk much or see each other after that happened. And uh, then... I was doing some more another cover band with doing you know, all kinds of priest and stuff like that. And he actually showed up at the, at, 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 you know, one of the places and said, Hey, I got, you know, I got a band going again and we got this older drummer from Lakeland and he's not really getting what we want to do. We're doing all originals now. And uh, that's when he met up with Dallas and, and they had a singer too. And he's like, do you want to start jamming with us too? So I was like, you know what? Yeah. You know and i actually ended up quitting the cover band altogether and went and started jamming with trey again and trey and dallas and uh, it was called death watch and and the uh, singer charles he he ended up he was dealing cocaine and ended up getting busted and getting like 10 years and so that's and for when a new
0: singer that's time for you, the,
2: you to the, sing the new singer. So we, we tried several singers and then, you know, of course, as you know, I ended up being the one to sing right before we got signed to, to a label and recorded Abominations. I, I'd only been singing maybe six months or so when we got the record contract and, and, uh, and recorded.
0: Interesting. And your vocal style was kind of early for what Extreme Metal would become. I know on Abominations, Desolation, I know, I think you said you were influenced by like Bathory, but even Bathory was like 1984-ish where, you know, I think it was like 1984 where that, that vocal style was starting to come out and you p- put that into a death metal. So it's really interesting. Um, so is that your main influence for vocals is like Bathory, things like that?
2: Probably, I would say, I, I really didn't try to do anything in particular. Because, I, you know, for me, I was just starting to sing and play drums. So whatever was coming out of my of my voice, I just kind of, you know, tried to be gruff as possible. But I just kind of let it go and do what it wanted to do, my voice. And, you know, it's, it's changed over the years. Some it's not as as a raspy as it was before. And sometimes I get it. Sometimes when I'm singing the old Morbid Angel songs, it kind of comes out similar to the to way I used to be able to sing back then. But. I don't know what it is but my voice just kind of changed a little bit because I, I was pretty young back then and uh yeah my balls dropped and you know <laughs> <laughs> so you know just uh my voice kind of changed a little bit from that that higher that I used to do to a lower you know like a I more had puberty a mid- now
0: like'm so, Mike never
2: really yeah I never really got the death the really low cookie monster death metal sound I, I can't for some reason that's hard for me i can do it but it's not natural and uh when i sing i just kind of let it do what it wants my voice i don't try to shape it too much i just kind of let it go
0: <laughs> yeah it definitely worked for what you did back then i know it helped influence a lot of people after you that you know went on to do big things in death metal so you're definitely pivotal for that in a uh, extreme metal i think as a whole too because you hear you know, like very like elitist black metal people, they hold you in high regard, including your your vocals. So I think you hit both spheres there at the same time, you know, before you know black metal was ever a thing. So uh that's very cool. Um, kind of on a lighter note, um, if you want me to edit this out, I will. But uh did when you got back in touch with Trey, did you ever tell him that you turned off David Vincent's water?
2: <laughs> he probably would have laughed because i don't think you know he, he's being pretty optimistic about david uh we've talked about him a few times and um uh, you know he's like i wish him the best whatever you know that's basically the way he's kind of going about it and I, I i guess that's a pretty good way to do it not to i mean i make fun of him quite a bit myself uh but
0: i played a show of his country band david vincent yeah in Austin. yeah <laughs> Yeah, he didn't really want to talk to me. I don't know if he knows who I am or anything, but he, he has an open invitation to go on this podcast. I promise to be very respectful because he seems like an interesting person. But uh, um, I, I thought that was hilarious when uh, <laughs> people who don't know you work for the city with the water department and you turn off people's water when they don't pay their bills. And he <laughs> went and turned off David Vincent's water. <laughs> um, so it's it hilarious.
2: Yeah, I mean, I don't actually. I moved out of that department now, and I'm I'm actually doing the opposite. Like when they pay their bill now, I'm turning the water back on, and when people move <laughs> in and out,
0: um, you know, doing that too. Uh, so turning it off. Definitely won't on.
1: be seeing Dave now.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, he doesn't live in camp anymore, anyway.
0: So well, he lives the, outside of Austin. He moved to Texas. <laughs> He's in my neck of the woods was. now.
2: But yeah, it was kind of funny when I got my work orders that day and saw his name on there, and um, you know there was nobody there so and and you know i did my job basically <laughs> but it was kind of funny
0: that's hilarious um like some people think that like was it david vincent who convinced trey to kick you out of morbid angel or was it uh, personal issues of trey
2: well i i think it was a little bit of both really i know that after we mixed the album that trey well after we recorded the album, I should say that Johnny, me, and Richard came back to Tampa and he kept Trey there another week to mix the record. Now, I thought we were going to be there the whole time for everything. And then, like, after we record, David Vincent's like, Well, see you guys later, go back to Tampa, and Trey's going to stay here with me and Bill Matoyer and, and mix the record. And I'm like, Wait a minute, you know, I'm on half of this record. You got guitar, bass, drums, and vocals, and I'm doing two of the four things. And I'm like, there's ideas I want to do with my vocals. You know, I want to make sure my drums sound like this or that. You know, I, I just, I thought I was going to be there for the mix as well. And I was looking forward to it. And then all of a sudden, everybody sent home but Trey. And when Trey came back, he was acted completely different. And the first thing he said to me was, we got to get rid of Johnny Ortega. And uh, David's got a new bass player for us and all this. And it's like, what? You know? And uh that's when Sterling was introduced into the band. So at one point, and I found out of course whatever, later that
0: whatever David happened had to Sterling. Him, sorry to jump in. I had a friend who wanted me to ask this question. Um, whatever happened to Sterling like after Morbid Angel. I know well, he died, he moved,
2: right? Well, he, he moved back up to Atlanta and then Gino ended up after he left Nocturnus. Um Actually, he went to jail for a little while, and then he he didn't stay in jail very long. But after he got out of jail, he went up there to Atlanta as well, because I, I didn't want to jam with him anymore after all that these problems that he kept having, and um, so he went up to Atlanta and started playing with Sterling again up there, and they were gonna redo Incubus, and they never I don't I guess it just didn't go anywhere at that point, and then uh, I know he after that he met a girl in Tampa that he actually ended up marrying. And they moved out to uh, San Francisco and opened up an occult store. And uh, then they split up. And she came back to Tampa and actually called me up one day and said, "I've got like, you know, Sterling and I got divorced, and I have a like all this stuff from the store. We split everything in half, and 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 I have all this stuff. And I knew a guy in that owned a a store here in occult." And comic book store called Merlin's and so I, oh, went I remember Merlin's
0: days. books was right next yes. to Aces right University um, well, Square no, Mall no, area. No it,
2: no it wasn't next to Aces but it was close it was on it was um, not too far away but yeah. it was on the same street but just a few like maybe half a mile away I bought Magic, way, the I gathering
0: I, cards there at Merlin's yeah, I, I, I
2: bought a whole bunch of stuff from her at a really good rate and I kept some of the stuff and then the rest of it I actually sold to the owner of Merlin's And then he went over there and bought a whole bunch more stuff from her. Uh, So I think she sold just about everything that she had came here with, came back here with. Mm. And I don't know whatever happened to her. I haven't heard. I think she got remarried actually. And uh, then, you know, like I didn't talk to Sterling really too much after he called me one night one time and he was like acting very, really strange and saying, dude, I'd like to get the band back together. And I'm like, you know, I just don't think it's going to be possible. Yeah. And I never heard from him again. And then about two years after that or so, I heard that he had hung himself.
0: That's sad. It's really sad. You know? Especially, I know I know you played a Brian Hipp. Um, He was a cradle of filth at one point, right?
2: Yeah, he didn't record anything with them. But he did, I guess, when Brutality went over there and, and did some European shows, he ended up meeting a girl over there and stayed over there for a little while. Um, when the band came back, you know, brutality, and then he stayed over there and, with that girl. And I guess she came back over here and I don't know what happened too much. Cause I didn't know him that well back then, but I get, you know, from that point, I guess he met several people over there when he was over there. And I know at one point the cradle of filth guys asked him if he would play guitar for him. Um, so he did a couple tours with them and that was about the only thing that I know he did with cradle of filth. Yeah, I think he did one or two tours with them, and uh, it didn't work out. So he came back to Tampa, and uh, you know we were looking for a guitar player for After Death, and being that he had been in that band and brutality and everything, he joined our band for a little while.
0: And yeah, that was he before just, I was in the band that Brian Hip was.
2: Yeah, and and he just you know he he was doing good for a little while, and then he got into some trouble again, and went to jail. <laughs> but just like for a month or two and the night he got out of jail, he went back to his parents' house and got some heroin and, and shot it up and basically,
0: you know, died. That's really, over really sad. Um, I hate when people go down that path, especially if they have a lot of potential to do really great things and it happens a lot. Um, of course, you know, drugs are really prevalent in music, you know, music's inherently liberal. So there's a lot of, you know, liberal things, especially like intoxication and all that in music. So uh, it's kind of interesting that, uh, you know, some people go down that path of destruction. Um, they're not able to rein that in and level themselves out. So it's really tragic. Um, a couple of things I wanted to uh, bring up this um what kind of music do you guys, both of you, uh, listen to outside of metal?
1: Wow, that's, that's a huge, <laughs> a huge uh, category. It's anything that sounds good to me, I listen to. You know, it's. I don't have a specific flavor or genre that I just adhere to. I, I listen to lots of stuff, but I can say probably more or less earlier classic type of stuff from 60s, 70s, early 80s type of. He's got a Gilmore shirt on right now for Pink Floyd 72. Yeah, well, <laughs> 75th birthday today. So, you know, Pink Floyd was uh, always one of my my favorites. Yeah, you know, way back then when I was in school. So, yeah, you know, Frank Zappa, Black Sabbath, Rush, King Crimson, ELP. I mean, all that stuff was big influences on me to play guitar to begin with. Rory Gallagher, you know, and then. Obviously in the metal, you know, come into their early formations with you know orbit angel, bathory, you know, going into both throw. Those were all early pivotal things for me. Incubus for
0: sure. Uh both incubuses, right? Because there are two.
1: Actually, there's three. <laughs> <laughs> well
0: not the, not the mainstream one, but the there right. was, like, <laughs> there was there one was with movie the movie. Howard brothers. And then there was the Mike Browning Incubus. There was another Incubus in Europe,
2: too, that released a heavy metal kind of album. I think they were from uh, Germany, possibly, I think it was. But yeah, there was another Incubus. There is four that I know of, at least.
0: That's crazy. A lot of Incubuses out there. So, uh, you know, you're really into the old classic rock. How about things outside of like guitar-based music? I know Mike Browning that you like you, you gave me a burn CDR of Daemonia, so I know your influences are, you know, well beyond the realm of guitar music.
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, I've always liked soundtrack stuff. I used to, when I was young, I used to get those Halloween records, you know, just sounds like crazy Halloween sounds, and I used to listen to those a lot. Um, you know, it was kind of cool. I just put on screams and creaks of doors and, and then, you know, they'd have like haunted mansion sounds and things like that. I used to listen to those little soundtracks a lot. I used to get the cassettes of, you know, Halloween sounds and and just listen to that stuff. And, uh, I, I had a period where I really liked a lot of, um, was listening to a lot of middle Eastern stuff with the tabla and, you know, and sitar type stuff. I really kind of liked some of the older, uh, music in that style as far as that and, and of course i when i was growing up you know zeppelin and and black sabbath and rush all that all that was my biggest influences when i started playing drums i mean i remember being 16 and having my first car and hearing i had a really loud car stereo you know with a little seven band equalizer and everything and i had the blasting you know jensen speakers and all that it was really super loud and I remember uh, going to work one day. It was really strange. I was going to, to a, when I worked at a burger place, I was 16, leaving high school, going to work. And Tom Sawyer came on the radio. It was the first time I ever heard it. And I was familiar with Rush, but not a lot, you know, and that song for some reason with the keyboards in the beginning and, and just, it, it sounded like it came from another world. Actually, what was like? yeah, he was like, oh yeah. 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 That was uh, his, uh, his uh move
1: yeah he was using moog tar yeah, the tars was. pedals
2: yeah the tars pedals when i heard that i was just like this is insane i never heard any music like this before you know but when you go back and look at the 70 bands tons of them had keyboards deep purple even sabbath when they play live they always had geoff jeff nichols you know always on tour with them playing i mean when when uh you know the mob rules came out and heaven and hell there was you know keyboards in the background ozzy used them on on a lot of his songs Sp- uh, the first two ozzy albums had a lot of keyboards in the background that you don't really realize are there but they are and you know you had stuff like rush yes and, and uh, you know and that kind of stuff i always liked the fact when a band had a keyboard that it gave the band this really full almost orchestral sound right. but not really just orchestral it, it was it was uh just It gave it a whole other dimension than just guitar, bass, and drums.
0: So you were the the brain behind bringing a keyboard and a Nocturnist, correct?
2: Um, yeah, I mean, I wasn't the one who knew Lou, but...
0: You wanted I a wanted, keyboardist.
2: Right, we were just about to do a demo. In fact, we had already booked the dates to do the demo, the second demo. And and um, I was like, I'd really like to have you know, some intros, some keyboard intros, for 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 two at least two of the four songs if not three of the four songs and and um like sean and mike knew this guy named lou and jeff they actually all knew him i was the only one who uh well gina was in the band at the time uh so it wasn't sean but sean knew lou as well but it was gino knew him but not that well the, all these guys went to school together so Jeff Estes and and Mike Davis went to school together and Sean went to school with them and Lou went to school with them. So they all knew each other. And they said, yeah, we know this guy. He's got a keyboard and he is, he's not doing anything at all. And uh, we'll get him to write some really weird song, you know, like intros. And so he, he uh, they contacted him and and he uh, wrote a couple intros and brought him over. We had a warehouse at the time and a big PA and we hooked his keyboards into the PA just to make it really loud so he could hear what he wrote and he played the intro and i was like yeah this will definitely work it was like the bcad intro and i was like this is cool you know so i said play it again and we'll go into the song because what was happening back then was i i used to get demos from bands because we did a lot of tape trading and i'd always hear bands you know take stuff from movies or soundtracks like you know say the omen that was a huge one Every used that intro from the omen and and of course it was really illegal what they were doing because they weren't permission but what would happen was you, a band would put out a demo and they would have this intro that was ripped from a movie or something and it would sound amazing and then the band would come in and they literally recorded the rest of the album or the rest of the demo i should say in their garage you know on a jam box so you'd have this amazing sounding intro and then also the band would come in and be like ah, you know and i'm like i you an want to have the whole experience to- yeah when the band comes in i want it to match the intro and sound like that you know i want it to be full just like the band you know i don't want the band and the intro to sound completely different and that was happening a lot if you listen to a lot of old demos from the 80s you'll hear this you know the omen soundtrack and then all of a sudden the band will come in and it was recorded in a garage on a jam box and uh i just i hated that because i was i'd hear that intro and i'd be expecting the band to sound like the intro and they never did you know sound quality wise so and then of course you would never hear and you know it would just be for the intro and if you go back what's funny is if you go back to um there's a show uh, when i was in morbid angel that we did at a place called Side Streets in April of 1986, and uh, it's on it's on YouTube. If you go back, you'll hear we used an intro that I actually did steal from an album from a band called Tangerine Dream. I was huh. going to bring little-
0: interesting. Really. Yeah, it's full um, circle. So you're really into ambient music too, like tanger- no,
2: Actually, it wasn't Tangerine Dream. It was um, oh gosh, what was the other band that was like Tangerine Dream? Um. i'm trying to think of what they were called now i can't remember uh synth something um damn i'm trying to remember what it was but i actually it was another band that was just like tangerine dream that weren't as big as them and i had their album and they had this one really really weird song on there and uh we used that as the intro for the morbid angel show and you'll hear it on that video so it, I know it started with an S I can't remember what the heck the band's name was, uh, but synergy, I think it was, I believe it was. Um, so, you know, even back when I was in Morbid Angel, I had that idea of having these crazy keyboard intros for the band. You know, I didn't think we would find a keyboard player cause I just didn't know anybody back then that played keyboards at all. But you know, like, like going back to the loop thing, you know, it, it, he had brought the keyboard over and, you know, we, he played it and then we went into the song. And while we were playing the song, we played the whole song and he just started playing along with some of the parts because BCAD only got a couple of rhythms in it and it's pretty simple. So he kind of picked up on what we were playing and started playing along with us. And I was like, man, this really sounds cool, you know, and I was used to hearing bands with keyboards. Like I said, Rush, Yes. Deep Purple, you know, I mean, all the stuff I listened to back then had a lot of had a lot of um, keyboards in it. Yeah. uh, Emerson, Lake and Palmer. I love brain sound surgery and stuff like that. I I used to listen to that stuff when I was like 14. So, yeah, doors, of course. And 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 so I never even thought twice that it was not really in what we were doing because death metal wasn't really named death metal back then. It was all metal. And there were bands in metal that had keyboards, but not really death metal yet. Yeah, you're to me, it really didn't seem like well, I don't know if we were actually the first, but we were the first 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 to do it well.
0: Yeah, the first to do it well,
2: right? Yeah, we were the first to like incorporate it full to where it actually got noticed. I would say, you know, I'm sure we weren't the first band in metal to use keyboards, you know, in death metal, maybe even there might have been some others, but uh, you know, I didn't, I wasn't thinking that that way i was just thinking that i liked keyboards in the music and i thought it made it really full so that's how it kind of came about and it just kind of happened that way and uh so we went and recorded the demo and let him play on all the songs and uh just like stemmed from there it got better and better and more involved and everything
0: that's great it's great that you were able to do that and pulling all those you know they're not really unorthodox but they are in like that point in time where there weren't a lot of like ambient and, you know, soundtracky elements in metal, and you're able to bring in that keyboard element, which expounded upon, you know, so much more texture than what, you know, just guitars, bass and drums can do. So it's great that you you had that period where you innovative morbid angel, but then you innovative nocturnus. So it's not something where you can say, it's like, Oh, he's just a one hit wonder. He just, you know, did one, cool thing at one time. It's like, no, it's you're you're legitimately a legitimately very creative individual. You have you're very pragmatic in your outlook, like in your thinking that you're able to, you know, see what's there and pull in the best possibilities. So um it's very, very cool. And just to end this podcast on a, a positive note that's kind of personal, I want to thank you for telling me to do GoCraft. Um you presented me, if the best project for my personality and all that, um, where I am my own obstacle, and I want to thank you for that. Well, you know, I mean, to
2: me, when I saw you play, you're you're like a prodigy. You know, one of those prodigy type people that can play the grand piano. Like, like, you know, when there's very few people who play the grand piano the way you can. I'll, I'll put it to you that way. And and when I heard you play that i was like man you know this isn't really what i need in nocturnus because fans like demu borger and cradle of filth they they go for more of the grand piano kind of stuff and i needed more sci-fi sounds and now you've you've mastered that as well but back then you were really piano oriented you know and it did bring a really cool element to after death which we didn't have before either so i thought that was really cool but your talent On the piano was like way beyond what 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 really metal needed you know and i i thought it was kind of a waste that you knew how to do all this stuff but you couldn't really use it in metal you know and that's when i thought you know dude man you you should you know do a crazy you know grand piano show because (laughs) you know you got people that are out there doing concerts you know like piano concert stuff recitals and things like that but there was never anybody that came out there with a big grand piano and just went crazy on it. You yeah. know, maybe, I mean, you got Elton John and Emerson, Lake and Palmer, but they, you know, Emerson, Lake and Palmer was still more keyboard oriented. And, you know, even though, you know, say, you know, Elton John did some weird stuff, like jumped around and stuff and played the piano. It wasn't like classical, you know, grand piano. So you do that. And when I heard that, I was like, you've got to display this to people because, you know, and you got to put it like something around it, you know, like a little show. And, you know, I'm glad you took that advice and and you were able to really come up with something that was totally original that
0: I've never seen anybody do before. Good job
1: on the latest release too there.
0: Yeah. Oh, the... Did you actually hear the new album i sent to mike a couple of weeks ago yeah
2: i gave i gave yeah I that's gave, what i'm referring to no the like,
0: that, not not the physical cd but the mp3s
2: oh that one uh no he hasn't heard that yeah, but that, he, okay. he heard the cds you gave me to give to him
0: yeah that that was that that split cd i did a Plutonian shore that's kind of new material but uh i sent you some mp3s of the next album I think it's yeah, the I best, and
2: I I, I, totally, I still have that link, and I, I probably need to resend it again because yeah. I get so busy. I, I forgot to open that up. Oh, I, I, I
0: completely understand. It's great to have you on this podcast because I know you're such a busy guy. Um, I know you have the family, you have the band, you have you know work and all that. So it's it's great you're able to actually do this podcast. I'm actually it'll be hosted on YouTube right now. Um, the views are about like around like a hundred or so, but hopefully. I'm looking to expand my reach, so hopefully uh, the podcast can reach more people. Um, so I want to thank you both. I know you guys are going to be rehearsing in one minute. I'm um,
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, waiting for everybody else to show up now. Actually, yeah. yep. Uh, but you know, as far as the podcast, just send me a link, uh, and I'll put it on. I get really good amounts of views on my Facebook page. Yeah. So a... uh, I'll definitely put that on there and and it'll, it'll get you some more views for sure and expand Excellent. your
0: audience. Excellent. Yeah. I'm looking forward to, uh, you know, finishing up this episode This is one, one that I really wanted to do because, you know, our background with each other, like I was roommates of Belial. Um, I know how dedicated he is to death metal. I have seen so many nights where he's just been blasting, you know, either him playing guitar with butcher. I remember that, or late into the night with, uh, you know, practicing lethal prayer to, uh, um just going through albums and showing each other music, you know, into the the wee hours of the night, and you know, <laughs> of course, um, you know, and you might be a a little a little vibrated,
1: little but that I had. I remember you tore that thing up, man. That? <laughs> that little cheesy keyboard I had there when uh, you, were, you were there for a while. You were tearing that thing up, <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, we had I some great times. I know he's he's part of the old guard, so definitely fixed my memory especially when it comes to uh, you both um i know you both are really really professional you practice you know twice a week at least um everything's on a fixed schedule and a lot of bands don't have that nowadays so um i think the old guard mentality um is definitely the best mentality um when it comes to a uh, death bone and all that um so thank you very both very much for uh being on this podcast um it was one of my it's a great pleasure of mine.
1: Yeah, it was fun doing it. Oh, yeah, likewise, sure. appreciate you having us on here.
0: Yeah, have a great rehearsal of Nocturnus AD.
1: All right, and the best to
2: you, brother. Yep, yep. Good luck with the, uh, what you know, all your stuff. Now that you got a couple things going on, yeah. and uh, I'm glad that you were able to do something with the GoCraft, craft because I think you know you started something new, like just like I did. You know, you you know you you took that ability and kind of made it your own.
0: Yeah, I appreciate that. Thank you, Mike. Um, yeah, and it's mainly your advice that, you know, put the switch on in my brain to do that. So thank you.
2: Well, you took it a step farther than, than I suggested, which is a great thing, of course, but that's what you're supposed to do. You know, you, yeah. you took that one little suggestion and you made it a whole, you know, child of yours, basically, you know.
0: Yep. Still, still breaching into the unknown. Like I am my own competition. I, I have no, you know, competitors for what I'm no, doing.
2: You're out there doing this thing. And just like I said, you know, you were able to bring your situation by yourself and, and like play in between other bands, like on festivals and stuff, you know, it was the perfect thing to where, you know, you don't have a huge setup you're by yourself. They can throw you between, other acts and you can just jump up there and do your thing I did and,
0: and uh, Phil Anselmo um, he uh, I played at one of his festivals where he had like Down and um, his other band there you know this is after Pantera um, he had a film festival and I, I played the first night of the festival like there was like 300 people watching me it was like one of the biggest like craft things right there um, but then uh. It went over so well that uh, they invited me back to play, like during the award ceremony. So they're handing out awards for all the people, you know, that, you know, did horror movies and things like that. And I'm playing, you know, in between each award, you know, guy coming up on stage, it was really, really cool. Um, so yeah, th- that playing in between bands things, I've kind of done it with like the award ceremony there. It was really cool. Um, I might be open to that in the future, but uh Um, It's great to have this podcast with you. Um, I know we expounded upon some great things about Nocturnus AD. I'm looking forward to, number one, you guys playing more festivals once COVID dies down, as well as hearing your new material. You have seven songs, so I'm looking forward to uh, hearing when that's all wrapped up and hearing the story of Dr. Magus um, expand, and hopefully it does turn into either a video game or a graphic novel or something like that. Um, just all around, really, really happy to have this, uh, necropolis episode of you too. Um, I, I'm sure like we'll run into each other again, um, next time in Florida, like I'm getting married or something she wants to go to Disney world. So, uh, you might see <laughs> when we do that. Um, so, uh, definitely have a, have a great rest of your day and thank, thank you for being on the show.
2: Yeah. You know, it's, well, you know, you already know this, but anytime you're in the area, you know, both Me and Lyle are are always there for you.
0: Excellent. I appreciate that, Mike. You're definitely great people.
1: Likewise. You there, too, brother.
0: Cheers. Have a good one.
1: All right. See you. All
0: right. Bye.